from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Bill Lawton is following in the footsteps of his father, George, who served as manager of Community Financial Credit Union when Bill was growing up in Plymouth, Michigan. But Bill has forged his own path as a community leader in his role as CEO of the $1.1 billion Asset Credit Union. Most visibly, the credit union supports financial wellness through a student-run branch program that has served as a touchstone for generations of members through its 30-year run. I'm Ron Jost, Senior Editor with CUNA News. This week on the CUNA News Podcast, we're sharing interviews with our four 2021 credit union heroes. The 2021 Credit Union Hero Program is sponsored by Scimitar. In this episode, I speak with hero Bill Lawton as he tells me why it just felt right to stay in his hometown and build on a legacy of credit union principles. Bill, you literally grew up at your credit union or virtually grew up at your credit union and your dad held your job at the credit union. Can you tell us about your background, kind of starting with your dad and where it all began? Happy to. In fact, it actually goes back before my dad. My dad was CEO from 58. Credit Union started in 51, Daisy Employees Federal Credit Union, so Daisy Air Rifles. And they left town to move to Arkansas. They were Plymouth's largest employer. The people in Plymouth wanted to keep the credit union in town, so they changed their charter to a community charter and had to find a CEO. So that's when my dad started in 58. Interestingly enough, my mother had uh, worked for the league right out of high school, and she had gotten that connection through my grandfather, who was a board member of West Acres Credit Union and was living in the same West Acres as a cooperative community in Al Marble, the previous credit union league, Michigan Credit Union League manager had lived there too. So there's a combination of all these connections. Yeah. Yeah. So your mom worked for the league. Yeah. My mom worked for the league as my dad was getting into credit unions. So my whole formative years were going into the credit union with my dad as CEO. And it was really only listening to family stories as I've gotten older and more involved in credit unions myself that I've really got to appreciate the background of that story with my mom's involvement and and all because my grandfather chose to be on a credit union board at some point in time. I'm sure that's how my mom got her job out of high school down in Detroit and working for the league and then introduced my dad to credit unions after that. So we were a very small credit union back in at that point it was only a one or two person employees. And by the time I remember it, we were a single branch, still you know, well under $10 million in assets, even when I was working, when I started working. I started working in 74 in high school. My dad needed somebody to come in and file ledger cards before we had a computer system. So we had these stacks or files of ledger cards that were basically people's statements. They had their passbook. We had a ledger card in the office and, and they matched up. So every time we posted a transaction, the letter card had to go up to a posting machine and posted and they came back down. They had to be filed in the right place. And whenever they didn't get filed in the right place, we ended up going through every single file, one (laughs) one card at a time to try to find the member's account. So, yeah, things have changed a little bit since then. But uh, dad left in the mid 80s. We had two CEOs, Jim Cantrell and Roger Ballard. 
Roger's still working out West at the New Vision. He was with us for five years and really, you know, working with him really got the confidence and developed, I think, the skills or the talent I needed to, to really take on the CEO role. Here I am finding myself in my father's shoes, basically. Credit Union's a little bigger, but still in the same community, having real positive impact. What role do you see the credit union playing in you yourself as a representative? Well, as a representative, I'm sort of more an enabler and a cheerleader than any yeah. at this point in time. I used to, a long time ago, when we were, you know, when we were smaller, I looked at the impact that we had on individual members as being, you know, the impact that we have on the community. And I grew up, my dad was, you know, member of the chamber, member of the school board. We had the school board, you know, superintendent over in his office all the time. They were talking about you know, things that were that were happening in Plymouth, how they might be able to do things better. I really didn't get that until I was actually involved in some service clubs and some community organizations like our local chamber, you know, Arts Council and some of those groups, uh, community foundation that I was working with as well. And then you see all of these groups working together to make our communities better. And I was at a meeting where one of my fellow board members talked about the credit union in a way that I had never heard before, where he was saying, you know, if we had not had the credit union here through all these last years, and this is probably, we were probably in the 90s and the credit union been around since the 50s and really impactful since the 60s and 70s, that this community would not be the same community that it is. And that really opened my eyes to have somebody else from outside the credit union see that and to what impact we had and then what impact we could have. So we've been working with student-run credit unions for over 30 years now, started small, where it was like, okay, we can do one of these, and now we can do one in each community. It's sort of a PR, nice touchy-feely thing, but we can't afford to do more. Then you start to realize that these young people that build a relationship with you and this memory they have of working at the school at the credit union in elementary school, you know, it carries. So, you know, we move from doing six to having over 50 student-run credit unions now. And the number of kids that we reach through, through that program. And then more recently, as we've grown, we have chosen to make the total amount of our community contributions a percentage of our asset size. So, so that as we, you know, if we grow 10%, we increase our community contributions, which at this point are over a million dollars a year in total. If you take a look at our student credit union resources and then over $500,000 in direct contributions, we make communities. And you add to that the time that our team members spend volunteering in our communities and some of the dollars that they contribute of their own to the Salvation Army bell ringing or the Relay for Life for the American Cancer Society, some really fun programs that we do internally to get people involved. And it's sort of the, you know, one of my favorite Christmas movies, don't watch it often enough anymore, is It's a Wonderful Life. And realizing that when things get really challenging in, in our communities, a lot of other bigger financial institutions can choose to do business elsewhere. If somebody's in Michigan and Texas and California, they can put all their marketing dollars in. And we saw that in, in the Great Recession, where some companies were not doing commercial banks, were not doing commercial lending in Michigan at all, and really pulled back the resources they had. And, and we've you know found success in really doubling down when 
things get challenging and having the confidence that our members will find ways to pay us back and will manage their money well and that we need to be there for them. And the combination of all of that really makes an impact that is almost impossible to measure. Yeah, that's really well said. That's really well described. I think any credit union CEO can identify with that. Kind of broadening that, tell me about your work with the National Credit Union Foundation and financial wellness. You've actually testified before Congress. Why is the foundation so important to you? So I got to spend some time with Gigi Highland before and after uh, testifying and learn more about what the foundation is doing. And at that point in time, we were talking about student credit unions and the impact that financial education can have on people's financial well-being. But yeah, I really got to see the great work and hear more from Gigi about the great work the foundation is doing in this area. And as we've become more and more focused on improving our members' financial well-being, not only in the schools, but across our communities, they've really seen the foundation as a resource for us to really find different ways to do this and pull credit unions together in the effort so that we can all learn from best practices in terms of what we're each doing. And Gigi and the foundation, great cheerleaders for the importance of all of this. And it wasn't too long after testifying, the CFPB came out with a definition of what financial well-being was in a way to measure it in a way that really resonated with me. And we did some more work with the foundation around that. It's just really been a great resource for us. And I see from a national level, a way to share the credit union store, really amplify this great work that we're doing in terms of helping people learn to manage their finances better. And certainly a huge need that we have in this country and our communities across the board. Great. I can't interview somebody without talking about their COVID experience. And I think that comes from best practices. I think people want that information. And I think we've got a ways to go on this. So, and and you did some important work in that realm as well. You developed something called the 24 hours to remote project. So you were well prepared for COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I'm not huge into building, you know, big headquarters or or spending a lot of money on brick and mortar. So we, as we've been growing, we've been developing a pretty robust remote work program. So we had a lot of people that were working from home already. We had the infrastructure set up in terms of our data center, but we still had a lot of people in the office. We have 30,000 square feet, eh, 25,000 square feet of office space. It was reasonably full. And I was looking at what was going on in China and saying, wow, this could be a big deal. We've got our whole member contact center, call center, and our collectors are all in the office. What happens if somebody tells us someday that those people have to stay home and they can't come into the office? Or that, you know, even if they don't tell us, if we don't feel that we can safely have them come into the office. I nudged a couple of team members and said, we've got all the technology in place, but you've never wanted to have these team members work from home because you don't want doorbells ringing, dogs barking while we're working with our members. And I get that, but we need to make sure this works and we need to make sure we know this will work. So we ran pretty early in early February, a test run with one of our member contact center folks and everything worked just the way it was supposed to. And after that, we ordered 90 laptops and we got those rolled out to team members 
by the end of March or the beginning of April. So our IT team just did in the first week of April, the latest, we had everybody able to be remote on these 90 laptops. And by the time April came, you couldn't buy laptops. You know, luckily we had the infrastructure set up in our phone system two or three years ago. So we had that capability and it was, it was really just flipping, not even flipping a switch. People were able to do that. And we basically had 25,000 square feet with, we have two buildings. I think we had two or three people in one building and three or four in the other. And those were the only people that we had administratively that were working in the office. And then we just had the matter of making sure our branch teams were as safe as possible with PPE and cleaning, deep cleaning every night that we're still doing. You know, some things you don't know whether they're you know that effective or not, but you're basically throwing everything that you can at this in order to keep our team members as safe as possible. And then the last thing that we did, which I really am glad we're able to do, is we paid gratitude pay to our team members during the shutdown in Michigan. We had a pretty serious time of things early on and really wanted to make sure that people that were working with our members understood how grateful we were for the work that we were doing. We were doing everything that we could to keep them safe, but we couldn't keep them perfectly safe. So what is gratitude pay? Can you kind of tell me a little gratitude bit about pay is we, we are paying our, our team members for every day and they're, they're in the branches taking care of our members. They get an extra $50 a day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, That's so great. A, yeah. It's a decent, you know, for, for our team members, it's, it's a decent chunk of money, but you know, I think more important than that, I mean, they're, they're grateful for that, but but more important than that is just recognition that what they're doing is stressful. What they're doing is uncomfortable. They're serving members behind plexiglass. They're wearing masks all day. They're handling money that other people have been handling. And, you know, very fortunately, we haven't had a single case of COVID since the, the very beginning where we feel that it was transmitted in our office, either between team members or from members to team members everything that our team members have dealt with. To learn more about Bill Lawton and the other 2021 Credit Union heroes, visit news.cuna.org slash cuhero. There, you can read profiles of all four heroes and cast your vote for Credit Union Hero of the Year. Voting ends March 20th. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio.